This morning we are in our 10th week in our series on engaging some of the uncomfortable conversations of our day. And now I I know for some of us that this has been a a difficult series. Some of you have told me as much. And and I want you to know that it's been been difficult for me at times as well. There's nothing quite like sitting down to prepare a sermon and, and reading something, either a commentary on scripture or a point of view that might be different from my own in grappling with with how much or how little I should really share. And and then there are moments where I I write something and and I vacillate between, ah, can I really say that? Oh, but it really, really needs to be said. The reality is we we often grow when we're, we're pushed to places of discomfort, when we're kind of nudged into what's uncomfortable. If we only listen to those who we see the world eye to eye with, who see the world the same way that we do, we end up surrounding ourselves in an echo chamber. If we only pay attention to the parts of the Bible that are easy for us to grasp or support our worldview, the way that we see the world, but we avoid the uncomfortable parts, but we end up creating God in our own image, or more brutally, we fall into the trap of idolatry. Let's be honest. Jesus was was pretty straightforward with his disciples. When he invited them to come and follow him, it was an invitation to discomfort, an invitation to leave what they knew, their homes, their professions, in order to be a part of what God was doing in the world. It's something we we often forget. We, We like things, or maybe... I'll speak for myself. I like things to fit together in a nice, neat package. But if we're going to to love our neighbors, if we're going to be ambassadors of reconciliation or, or peacemakers in today's charged world, all things that we are invited to do in Scripture, we have to step into those places of discomfort. One of the more impactful stories that I've ever heard about following Jesus into a, a uncomfortable place is the story of the Koinonia farm. It was a farm that was started in 1942 in Georgia by a man named Clarence Jordan. Now Jordan's faith led him to to build this interracial community in a time and in a place where it wasn't popular to do so on, on his farm. Now neighboring farmers, neighboring owners of farms, they, they looked at him and they got really, really frustrated mostly because he was paying his workers, regardless of race, regardless of where they came from, the same living wage. Now, in the early 50s, other farmers, they they looked to him and and they tried to shut him down, and Clarence asked his brother Robert to represent him. Robert was a prominent lawyer who later became a, a state senator and a justice in the Georgia Supreme Court. And when Clarence went to Robert, Robert said, no, 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 you know that I can't do that. You know about my political aspirations. It would cost way too much for me to defend you. And Clarence replied, we, we grew up in the same church. We joined on the same Sunday. When the preacher asked if we follow Jesus, what did you say? And Robert replied, I follow Jesus. Clarence, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus up to a point. I follow him to the cross, but I'm not getting on the cross. 
I'm not getting myself crucified. Following Jesus is uncomfortable. There's nothing easy about Jesus' invitation to pick up our cross and to follow him. This invitation to be uncomfortable wasn't just for those who dropped everything to follow him right away. He constantly came back to it, especially with the religious establishment and the leaders of his day. There's a moment in Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus is surrounded by by his disciples and by Pharisees and Sadducees and probably other groups of people who are listening in as well. Now, the Pharisees, they held to a very strict interpretation of the Hebrew law. And they saw it as their duty to, to protect that interpretation. Someone goes as far as saying that they were kind of this religious political party, but they didn't really have any official role in the church or, or in society. Now, on the other hand, the, the Sadducees, they were a much, much smaller group. And they did fill official positions, including the role of high priest. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't see eye to eye with one another on everything, but they did agree with, with where they saw Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. And so one day, Jesus, he's teaching in the temple courts, which is kind of this, this public space full of conflicting and diverting worldviews and politics, and, and, and he tells a parable, that start, a parable that starts in a way that would have been familiar by this time in his ministry. The kingdom of heaven is like phrase we, we, we should know. I imagine there was a collective eye roll or a, an audible, ah, here we go again. He's going to challenge us. He's going to push us to be uncomfortable. But remember, as I mentioned last week, Jesus' ministry began with him preaching, repent, turn and run toward the kingdom, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's at hand. And then he continued with the constant invitation to be a part of that kingdom, breaking into every single faucet of life. So he, he tells this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a wedding banquet. And in the parable, none of the invited guests show up. So he, the host sends out the servants to invite a second group of people. And they come, but one guest shows up in, in the wrong clothes. He wasn't prepared. And Jesus summarizes the parable with words that would have made anyone in earshot, anyone who heard the story, incredibly uncomfortable, especially the religious elite. He said, many are invited, but only a few are chosen. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they hear this parable, and then they try to trap him in a series of questions that connect the earthly kingdom to the heavenly kingdom. And as faith and the dominant culture of Jesus' day collide once more, Jesus encourages his followers to grow in the midst of the discomfort. Starting in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, the Pharisees ask, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, 
said to them, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, which was a day's wage, and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar, or render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God, give back to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him, and they, they went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Pharisees, they they bring another group with them called the Herodians as they try to trap Jesus into a debate. To to get him to say something that would either have him undermine Roman rule or contradict his convictions about God's kingdom. The Pharisees, they, they would have represented the religious power of Israel. The Herodians represented the, the Roman political power. If Jesus really saw himself as the Messiah, wouldn't he want to put the end to Caesar's claim that Caesar is Lord? And wouldn't that start with making an official statement about Caesar's tax? Jesus, he sees through the trap and he says, you hypocrite. Why are you trying to trick me? Here, hand me me a coin. Who is... Whose image is on this coin? And and, and whose name is on it? Well, Caesar's, of course, they respond. Now, they wanted a a yes or or no answer from Jesus, and he doesn't give it. The the collision between the, the earthly and heavenly kingdoms just isn't always that simple. And so he says, give back or render to Caesar what is Caesar's. He's saying, respect the state. The state is supposed to serve its citizens. These coins, they they, they pay for infrastructure. Things like waterways, sewage, roads, systems of of education, health care. Respect the state. It's what the Apostle Paul gets to in, in Romans chapter 13 when he says that the state is supposed to be God's servant for the well-being of all citizens. So when the state serves its people, it's disrespectful to not pay the state for its services. So naturally, Jesus says, render, give to Caesar, give back to Caesar what has Caesar's image on it. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Honoring Rome was important, but Rome still had its limits. You can almost see Jesus, you know, flip the the coin back to the Pharisees as he responds. And don't forget, give back to God what is God's. In the same way that the coin bore the image of Caesar and belongs to Caesar, humankind bears the image of God. We're created, Scripture tells us, in God's image. We belong to our Creator. Now, this juxtaposition would have made everyone listening a little uncomfortable. They would have leaned forward and leaned in and said, what's going to happen next? It would have challenged those who consider themselves to be ultra-patriotic, as well as those who despise their Roman rulers. Government had a place, and it was to be respected. But it didn't dictate the direction of God's kingdom. And the reminder for us today, it can't be be lost. 
No one political system, no one platform owns Christianity. Our our denomination uh, has a, a book of confessions, and it's full of statements that remind us of this reality. Here's one of those confessions from uh, the Confession of 1967, which was written in a time where the church was trying to figure out what its role was in the world. It says this, Although nations may serve God's purposes in history, the church which identifies the sovereignty of any one nation or any one way of life with the cause of God denies the lordship of Christ and betrays its calling. Friends, As we navigate this unsettling season, let's remember that our government is important, that we need to engage in decisions on our local and state and national levels. And at the same time, we need to remember that Jesus is Lord, that we bear the image of our creator. The next question, it comes from the Sadducees. And and they have been listening in on this, this previous conversation. They they ask a question about marriage and the role it plays or maybe doesn't play in in the resurrection. They move from the relationship between God's present kingdom and earthly kingdoms to God's present kingdom and eternal life. Now, this is something that they they disagreed with uh, about with the the Pharisees. So the Sadducees say, you know, surely if this was really important, Moses, Moses would have mentioned it. Moses would have talked about it, right? And Jesus responds, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Jesus quotes the famous I am passage out of Exodus, where Moses is assured that God is with him as Moses stood at the burning bush. That God is still present. That God is still alive. That God is the God of the living. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, remembering that the God whose image we bear is the same God who has moved throughout history, who is on the move today, and who is the God of the future as well. Now, Jesus' response, it it impressed and I imagine confused the crowds a little bit, but it, it had to leave the Sadducees very uncomfortable. And they sit there quietly, and the Pharisees, they see a window, so they jump in. Oh, he's talking about Scripture again. We know Scripture. Let's try to trap him again. we we got a good debate for him. It's the passage that we read earlier uh, about the greatest commandment, where Jesus responds, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. So as we have journeyed through this this series on engaging uncomfortable conversations in our, our church, in our families, 
around race, around different generational conversations, and around politics and our our role in the the public sphere of life. There's been times where I've just kind of wanted to stop, stop and say, are we loving God? Are we loving one another? In all of our actions and in all of our uncomfortable conversations, are we living into the greatest commandment? Are we loving God and are we loving people? It really is that simple and it really is that difficult. Let's pray. Loving God as we step into some of those uncomfortable conversations in our unsettled world today. Remind us that you are Lord and remind us that that we bear your image. May our love for you and our, our love for others be reflected in the way we engage today. We pray these things in your name. Amen.